Chapter Ten of the Life of Thomas, Lord Cochrane, Tenth Earl of Dundonald, Volume One, by Henry Richard Fox Bourne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Timothy Ferguson. Eighteen twenty-three. In eighteen o eight, King John the Sixth of Portugal, driven by Bonaparte from his European dominions, took refuge in his great colonial possession of Brazil, and the result of this emigration was considerable enlargement of the liberties of the Brazilians. Thereby the immense Portuguese colony in South America was prevented from following in the revolutionary steps of the numerous Spanish provinces adjoining it. In Brazil, however, during the ensuing years, party faction produced nearly as much turmoil as attended the struggle for independence in Chile and the other Spanish colonies. Those Brazilians who were still intimately connected with the inhabitants of the mother country rallied under Portuguese leaders and did their utmost to maintain the Portuguese supremacy over the colony. Quite as many, on the other hand, were eager to take advantage of the new state of things as a means of consolidating the freedom of Brazil. Plots and counterplots, broils and insurrections lasted almost without intermission until 1821, when King John returned to Portugal, leaving his son Don Pedro as lieutenant and regent, to cope with yet greater difficulties. The courts of Portugal, unable to get back their king, desired also to bring back Brazil to all its former servitude. So great was the opposition thus provoked that the native or true Brazilian party induced Don Pedro to throw off allegiance to his father. In October 1822, the independence of the colony was publicly declared, and on the 1st of December, Don Pedro assumed the title of Emperor of Brazil. Only the southern part of Brazil, however, acknowledged his authority. The northern provinces, including Bahia, Maranham, and Para, were ruled by the Portuguese faction and held by Portuguese troops. A formidable fleet, moreover, swept the seas, and the independent provinces were threatened with speedy subjection to the sway of Portugal. That was the state of affairs in the young empire of Brazil during the months in which Lord Cochrane, having destroyed the Spanish fleet in the Pacific, was being subjected to the worst ingratitude of his Chilean employers. Don Pedro and his advisers, hearing of this, lost no time in inviting him to enter the service of the Brazilian nation. Equal rank and position to those held by him under Chile were offered to him. Abandonez vous, my lord, wrote the official who conveyed the emperor's message on the 4th of November, 1822. A la reconnaissance brésilienne, à la munificence du prince, à la probité sans tache de la actuelle government, on vous fera justice on ne rebessera de un seul point la haute consideration, rang, grand, caractère et advantages qui vous sont dus. In yet stronger terms, a second letter was written soon afterwards. Venez, my lord, the honour vous invite, la glory vous appelle, venez donner à nos armes navales, cette aura marvelleuse et discipline incomparable de poisson albion. Lord Cochrane, as we have seen, accepted this invitation not, however, without some misgivings, which in the end were fully justified. Having quitted Valparaiso on the 18th of January, 1823, he arrived at Rio de Janeiro on the 13th of March. He had not been there a week before he discovered that while all classes were anxious to secure his aid, the Emperor, Pedro I, stood almost alone in the desire to treat him honourably and in a way worthy of his character and reputation. Vague promises were made to him, but when a statement of his position was asked for in writing, very different terms were employed. He was only to have the rank of a subordinate admiral, with pay of less amount than the Chilean pension that he had resigned. His employment was to be temporary and informal, subjecting him to the chance of dismissal at any moment. 
When, however, resenting these trickeries, he announced the intention of proceeding at once to Europe and accepting the Greek service offered to him, a different tone was adopted. Under the Emperor's signature, he was appointed, on the 21st of March, First Admiral of the Nation and Imperial Navy, with emoluments equal to those he had received from Chile. He did not then know, though he was soon to learn it by hard experience, how strong, even at the Imperial Court, was the influence of the Portuguese party, and by what meanness and trickery it sought to maintain and augment that influence. Quote, where the Portuguese party was really to blame, he afterwards said, was in this, that seeing disorder everywhere more or less prevalent, they strained every nerve to increase it, hoping to paralyse further attempts at independence by exposing whole provinces to the evils of anarchy and confusion. Their loyalty also partook more of self-interest than of attachment to the supremacy of Portugal, for the commercial classes, which formed the real strength of the Portuguese faction, hoped by preserving the authority of the mother country in her distant provinces to obtain as their reward the revival of old trade monopolies which, twelve years before, had been thrown open, enabling the English traders, whom they cordially hated, to supersede them in their own markets. Being a citizen of the rival nation, their aversion to me personally was undisguised, the more so, perhaps, that they believed me capable of achieving at Bahia, whether the squadron was destined, the irreparable injury of their own cause, which the imperial troops had been unable to effect. Had I at the time been aware of the influence and latent power of the Portuguese party in the empire, nothing would have induced me to accept the command of the Brazilian navy. For to contend with faction is more dangerous than to engage an enemy, and a contest of intrigue is foreign to my nature and inclination. End quote. Having entered the Brazilian service, however, Lord Cochrane applied himself to his work with characteristic energy and success. He hoisted his flag on board the Pedro Primiero on the 21st of March and put to sea on the 3rd of April. His squadron consisted of the Pedro Primiero, a fine and well-appointed ship, rated rather too highly for 74 guns, commanded by Captain Crosby, of the Perenga, a fine frigate, entrusted to Captain Jowlett, of the Maria de Gloria, a showy but comparatively worthless clipper, mounting 32 small guns, under Captain Beaurepaire, of the Liberal, under Captain Garso, he was accompanied by two old vessels, the Guarani and the Real, to be used as fireships. Two other ships of war, the Nitherroe, assigned to Captain Taylor, and the Carolina, were left behind to complete their equipment, and the first of these joined the squadron on its way to Bahia, which, being the nearest of the disaffected provinces, was the first to be subdued. The coast of Bahia was reached on the 1st of May, and Lord Cochrane was arranging to blockade its capital and port on the 4th, when the Portuguese fleet came out of the harbour. It comprised the Don Hayo of 74 guns, the Constitucio of 50, the Parola of 44, the Princesa Real of 28, the Regeneracio, the Des de Fevereo, the San Goltia, the Principe de Brazil, and the Restiacio of 26 each, and the Calypso and the Activa of 22, the Ordaz of 20, and the Cancercao of 8 being one line-of-battle ship, five frigates, five corvettes, a brig and a schooner. Lord Cochrane did not venture with his small and as yet untried force to attack the whole squadron, but he proceeded to cut off the four rearmost ships. This he did with the Pedro Primerio, but to his disgust the other vessels, heedless of his orders, failed to follow him. Quote, Had the rest of the Brazilian squadron, he said, come down in obedience to signals, the ship's cut off might have been taken or dismantled, as with the flagship I could have kept the others at bay, and no doubt have crippled all in a position to render them assistance. 
To my astonishment, the signals were disregarded and no efforts were made to second my operations. The Pedro Primero, after fighting alone for some time, and during the time even doing but little mischief by reason of the clumsy way in which her guns were handled, had to be withdrawn. At that failure, Lord Cochrane was reasonably chagrined. Worse than the fact the Portuguese had escaped uninjured for this once was the knowledge that he could not hope thoroughly to punish them without first effecting great reform in the materials at his disposal. On the 5th of May, he wrote to the government to complain of the miserable condition of the ships and crews provided for him by the Brazilian government. Quote, From the defective sailing and manning of the squadron, he said, it seems to me that the Pedro Primero is the only one that can assail an enemy ship of war or act in the face of a superior force so as not to compromise the interests of the empire and the character of the officers commanding. Even this ship, in common with the rest, is so ill-equipped as to be much less efficient than she otherwise would be. Our cartridges are all unfit for service, and I have been obliged to cut up every flag and ensign that could be spared to render them serviceable, so as to prevent the men's arms from being blown off whilst working the guns. The guns are without locks. The bed of the mortar, which I received on board this ship, was crushed on the first fire, being entirely rotten. The fuses for the shells are formed of such wretched composition that it will not take fire with the discharge of the mortar. Even the powder is so bad that six pounds will not throw out shells more than a thousand yards. The marines understand neither gun exercise, the use of small arms, nor the sword, and yet have so high an opinion of themselves that they will not assist to wash the decks or even to clean out their own berths, but sit and look on while those operations are being performed by seamen. I warned the Minister of Marine that every native of Portugal put on board the squadron, with the exception of officers of known character, would prove prejudicial to the expedition, and yesterday we had clear proof of the fact. The Portuguese station in the magazine actually withheld the powder while the ship was in the midst of the enemy, and I have since learned that they did so from feelings of attachment to their own countrymen. I enclosed two letters, one from the officer commanding the Real, whose crew were on the point of carrying that vessel into the enemy's squadron for the purpose of delivering her up. I have also reason to believe that the conduct of the Liberal yesterday in not bearing down upon the enemy and not complying with the signal which I had made to break the line, was owing to her being manned by Portuguese. The Maria de Gloria also has a great number of Portuguese, which is the more to be regretted, as otherwise her superior sailing with the zeal and activity of her captain would render her an effective vessel. To disclose to you the truth, it appears to me that one half of the squadron is necessary to watch over the other half. Assuredly, this is a system which ought to be put an end to without delay. Other indignant complaints of that sort, which need not here be repeated, were reasonably made by Lord Cochrane. The bad equipment of his squadron, both in men and material, had hindered him at starting from achieving a brilliant success over the enemy, and though his subsequent achievements were of unsurpassed brilliance, he was, to the end, seriously hindered by the willful and accidental mismanagement of his employers. Lord Cochrane lost no time, however, in correcting by his own prudent action the evil effects of this mismanagement. Not choosing to run the risk of a second failure, and believing that two good ships would be more serviceable than any number of bad ones, he took his squadron to the Moro St. Paulo, where he transferred all the best men and most serviceable fittings to the flagship and the Maria de Gloria. There he left the other vessels to be improved as far as possible, directing that instruction should be given in seamanship to all the incompetent men, who showed any promise of being made efficient, and that several small prizes, which he had taken on the way from Rio de Janeiro, should be turned into fire ships for future use. With the two refitted ships, he then went back to Bajaya 
to watch its whole coast and blockade the port. The wisdom of this course was at once apparent. Several minor captures were made, the supplies of Bidiaia were cut off, and the enemy's squadron was locked in the harbour for three weeks. Lord Cochrane went to the Moro San Polo on the 26th, leaving the Maria de Gloria to overlook the port, and the Portuguese fleet ventured out for a few days. It dared not show fight, however, and was driven back by the flagship which returned on the 2nd of June. Quote, on the 11th of June, said Lord Cochrane, information was received that the enemy was seriously thinking of evacuating the port before the fireships were completed. I therefore ordered the Maria de Gloria to water and revictual for three months, so as to be in readiness for anything which might occur, as, in case the rumour proved correct, our operations might take a different turn to those previously intended. The Parengo was also ordered to have everything in readiness for weighing immediately on the flagship appearing off the morrow and making signals to that effect. The whole squadron was at the same time ordered to revictual and to place its surplus articles in a large shed constructed of trees and branches felled in the neighbourhood of the morrow. Whilst the other ships were thus engaged, I determined to increase the panic of the enemy with the flagship alone. The position of their fleet was about nine miles up the bay under shelter of fortifications, so that an attack by day would have been more perilous than prudent. Nevertheless, it appeared practicable to pay them a hostile visit on the first dark night, when, if we were unable to effect any serious mischief, it would at least be possible to ascertain their exact position, and to judge what could be accomplished when the fireships were brought to bear upon them. Accordingly, the narrative proceeds, having during the day carefully taken bearings at the mouth of the river, on the night of the 12th of June I decided on making the attempt which might possibly result in the destruction of part of the enemy's fleet, in consequence of the confused manner in which the ships were anchored. As soon as it became dark, we proceeded up the river, but unfortunately, when we were within hail of the outermost ship, the wind failed, and the tide soon after turning, our plan of attack was rendered abortive. Determined, however, to complete the reconnaissance, we threaded our way amongst the outermost vessels. In spite of the darkness, the presence of a strange ship under sail was discovered, and some beat to quarters, hailing to know what ship it was. The reply, an English vessel, satisfied them, however, and so our investigation was not molested. The chief object thus accomplished, we succeeded in dropping out with the ebb tide, now rapidly running, and were enabled to steady our course, stern foremost, with the stream anchor a drag, whereby we reached our former position. End quote. That exploit was more daring than Lord Cochrane's modest description would imply, and though the bold hope that it might be possible for a single invading ship to conquer the whole Portuguese squadron in its moorings was not realised, the effect was all that could be desired. The Portuguese admiral and his chief officers were at a ball in Bahia, while Lord Cochrane was quietly sailing around and amongst their squadron, and the report of this achievement was brought to them in the midst of their festivities. "'What?' exclaimed the admiral. "'Lord Cochrane's line of battleship in the very midst of our fleet? Impossible!' No large ship could have come up in the dark. When it was known that the thing had really been done, and that the construction of fireships at the Moro San Paulo was being rapidly proceeded with, the Portuguese authorities, both naval and military, considered that it would be no longer safe to remain in Bahia Harbour. They were seriously inconvenienced, moreover, by the success with which Lord Cochrane had blockaded the port and all its approaches. Quote, the means of subsistence fail us, and we cannot secure the entrance of any provisions, said the commander-in-chief in the proclamation, intimating that the so-called defenders of the province were thinking of abandoning the post. They did this after a fortnight's consideration. On the 2nd of July, the whole squadron of 13 war vessels and about 70 merchantmen and transports 
filled with a large body of troops, evacuated the port. That was a movement with which Lord Cochrane was well pleased. He had been in doubt as to the prudence of leading his small fleet into a desperate action in the harbour, by which the inexperience of his crews might ruin everything, and which might have to be followed by fighting on land. But now that the Portuguese, both soldiers and sailors, were in the open sea, he could give them chase without much risk, as, in the event of their turning round upon him with more valour than he gave them credit for, the worst that could happen would be his forced abandonment of the pursuit. The valour was not shown. No sooner were the Portuguese out of port, with their sail set for Maranjam, where they hoped to join other ships and troops, and so augment their strength, then Lord Cochrane proceeded to follow them and dog their progress. His scheme was a bold one, but as successful as it was bold. Attended first by the Maria de Gloria alone, and afterwards by the Carolina, the Nitherowie, and a small merchant brig, the Colonel Allen, in which he placed a few guns, he pursued and harassed the cumbrous crowd of Portuguese warships, troopships, and trading vessels, about eighty in all, through fourteen days. The chase, indeed, was practically conducted by his flagship, the Pedro Primiero, alone. The other vessels were ordered to look out for any of the enemy's fleet that lagged behind or were borne away from the main body of the fugitives, either to the right hand or to the left. Of these there were plenty, and none were allowed to escape. The pursuers had easy work in prize-taking. "'I have the honour to inform you,' wrote Lord Cochrane in a concise dispatch to the Brazilian Minister of Marine on the 7th of July, that half the enemy's army, their colours, cannon, ammunition, stores, and baggage, have been taken. We are still in pursuit, and shall endeavour to intercept the remainder of the troops, and shall then look after the ships of war, which would have been my first object, but that, in pursuing this course, the military would have escaped to occasion further hostilities against the Brazilian Empire. Most of his prizes and prisoners Lord Cochrane sent into Pernambuco, the port then nearest to him, and he dispatched two officers to Albalia for Brazil. With his flagship he continued his pursuit of the enemy, losing them once during a fog, and then when he found them, being prevented from doing all the mischief which he had hoped, as a calm enabled them to keep close together and present a front too formidable for attack by a single assailant. The Portuguese, however, continued their flight as soon as the wind permitted. Lord Cochrane did not trouble them much during the day, but each night he swept down on them like a hawk upon its prey, and harassed them with wonderful effect. They were chased past Fernando Island, past the equator, and more than half-way to Cape Verde, then, on the 16th of July, Lord Cochrane, after a parting broadside, left them to make their way in peace to Lisbon, there to tell how, by one daring vessel, thirteen ships of war had been ignominiously driven home, accompanied by only thirteen out of the seventy vessels that had placed themselves under their protection. Lord Cochrane would have continued the pursuit still farther, had not some of the troopships contrived to escape, and as he was anxious that these should not get into shelter at Maranjam, or, if there, should not have time to recover their spirits, he deemed it best to hasten thither. He reached Maranjam before them, and thus found it possible to carry through an excellent expedient which he had devised on the way. Maranjam, the wealthiest province of the old Brazilian colony, was best guarded by the Portuguese, and now served as the centre and stronghold of resistance to the authority of the new emperor. Lord Cochrane's plan had been, for its object, nothing less than the annexation of the whole province single-handedly and without a blow. With this intent, he entered the river Maranja, which served as a harbour to the port of the same name, on the 26th of July, with Portuguese colours flying from the mast of the Pedro Primiero. 
the authorities deceived thereby promptly sent a messenger with despatches and congratulations on the safe arrival of what was supposed to be a valuable reinforcement from portugal the messenger was soon undeceived but lord cochrane at once made him the agent of a much more elaborate and altogether justifiable deception announcing to him that the swift sailing of the pedro primiero had brought her first to marjum but that she was being followed by a formidable squadron intended for the invasion of the province he sent him back with letters to the same effect addressed to the portuguese commandant and to the local junta of marjum the naval and military forces under my command he wrote to the former leave me no room to doubt the success of the enterprise in which i am about to engage in order to free the province of marjum from foreign domination and to allow the people free choice of government of the flight of the portuguese naval and military forces from baja you are aware i have now to inform you of the capture of two-thirds of the transports and troops with all their stores and ammunition i am anxious not to let loose the imperial troops of baja upon marjum exasperated as they are at the injuries and cruelties exercised towards themselves and their countrymen as well as by the plunder of the people and churches of baja it is for you to decide whether the inhabitants of these countries shall be further exasperated by resistance which appears to me unavailing and alike prejudicial to the best interests of portugal and brazil quote, new quote begins the forces of his imperial majesty he said to the junta having freed the city and province of baja from the enemies of independence i now hasten in conformity with the will of his majesty that the beautiful province of maranjam should be free also to offer the oppressed inhabitants whatever aid and protection they need against a foreign yoke desiring to accomplish their liberation and to hail them as brethren and friends should there however be any who from self-interested motives oppose themselves to the deliverance of their country let such be assured that the naval and military forces which have driven the portuguese from the south are again ready to draw the sword in like just cause and the result cannot be long doubtful those mingled promises and threats took prompt effect on the following day the twenty seventh of july after a conditional offer of capitulation had been rejected the members of the junta the bishop of maranjum and other leading persons went on board the pedro primiero to tender their submission to the emperor of brazil the city and forts were surrendered without reserve and in less than twenty-four hours from lord cochrane's first appearance in the river the flag of portugal was replaced by that of brazil a great province had been added to the dominions of pedro i without bloodshed and with no more expenditure of ammunition than was needed for the volleys discharged in honour of the triumph the liberation of maranjum was publicly celebrated on the twenty eighth of july and on the following day the portuguese troops embarked for europe special concessions being made to them by lord cochrane who deemed it well that they should be out of the way before the device by which he had outwitted them was made known no resentment was to be expected from the civilians as even those most hearty in the adherence to the portuguese faction in brazil would not dare to offer direct opposition to the sentiments of the majority but lord cochrane wisely set himself to conciliate all quote, to the inhabitants of the city he said i was careful to accord complete liberty claiming in return that perfect order should be preserved and property of all kinds respected the delight of the people was unbounded at being freed from a terrible system of inaction and imprisonment which when i entered the river was being carried on with unrelenting vigour by the portuguese authorities towards all suspected of a leaning to the imperial government instead of retaliating as would have been gratifying to those so recently labouring under oppression i directed oaths to the constitution to be administered not to brazilians only but to all portuguese who chose to remain and conform to the new order of things 
a privilege of which many influential persons of that nation availed themselves. With the capture of Maranjam alone, however, Lord Cochrane was not satisfied. Without a day's delay, he dispatched a Portuguese brig, which he had seized in the river and christened by its name under Captain Grenfell, to follow at Para, the only important province of Brazil still under the Portuguese yoke, the same course which he had just adopted with such wonderful success. He himself found it necessary to remain at Maranjam for more than two months, where he had to curb with a strong hand the passions of the liberated inhabitants, eager to use their liberty in lawless ways, and to retaliate upon the Portuguese, still resident among them, for the hardships which they had hitherto endured. On the 20th of September, having heard that Captain Grenfell had entirely succeeded in his designs on Para, he started for Rio de Janeiro, and there he arrived on the 9th of November. Quote, I immediately forwarded to the Minister of Marine, he said, a recapitulation of all transactions since my departure seven months before, namely, the evacuation of Bahia by the Portuguese in consequence of our nocturnal visit, connected with the dread of my reputed skill in the use of fire-ships, arising from the affair of Basque Roads, the pursuit of their fleet beyond the equator and the dispersion of its convoy, the capture and disabling of the transports filled with troops intended to main Portuguese domination of Baranjam and Para, the device adopted to obtain the surrender, to the Pedro Primiero alone of the enemy's naval and military forces at Maranjam, the capitulation of Para, with the ships of war to my summons sent by Captain Grenfell, the deliverance of the Brazilian patriots whom the Portuguese had imprisoned, the declaration of independence by the intermediate provinces thus liberated, and their union with the empire, the appointment of provisional governments, the embarkation and departure of every Portuguese soldier from Brazil, and the enthusiasm with which all my measures, though unauthorised and therefore extra-official, had been received by the people of the northern provinces, who, thus relieved from the dread of further oppression, had everywhere acknowledged and proclaimed His Majesty as constitutional emperor. Lord Cochrane's services had, indeed, been, many of them, unauthorised and therefore extra-official. He had been sent out merely to recover Bahia, but besides doing that, he had gained for Brazil other territories more than half as large as Europe. For this, however, nothing but gratitude could be shown, and that gratitude was, for a time at any rate, unalloyed. On the very day of the Pedro Primiero's return, the Emperor went on board to offer his thanks in person. Further thanks were voted by the legislature and tendered by all classes of the people. Quote, Taking into consideration the great services which Your Excellency has just rendered to the nation, wrote the Emperor on the 25th of November, and desiring to give Your Excellency a public testimonial of gratitude for those high and extraordinary services on behalf of the generous Brazilian people, who will ever preserve a lively remembrance of such illustrious acts, I deem it right to confer upon Your Excellency the title of Marquis of Maranjam. The decoration of the Imperial Order of the Cruzeiro was also bestowed upon Lord Cochrane, and on the 19th of December he was made a Privy Councillor of Brazil, the highest honour which it was in the Emperor's power to grant. On the same day he also received from the Emperor a charter confirming his rank and emoluments as First Admiral of Brazil, quote, seeing how advantageous it would be for the interests of the Empire to avail itself of the skill of so valuable an officer, end quote, and in recognition of, quote, the valour, intelligence, and activity by which he had distinguished himself in the different services with which he had been entrusted. End, quote. End of chapter 10. Recording by Timothy Ferguson, Gold Coast, Australia.